we really found that if we were teaching to everybody, we were kind of teaching to nobody. Welcome everybody to IDEA, the podcast about improving data engagement and advocacy. We're your hosts, Brianna Wham and Shannon Sheridan. With the rise in data-intensive research and institutional, funder, and publishing requirements for data management and sharing, there is a lot of opportunity for education and engagement around how to best address data management during the research process. Researchers are increasingly needing support with how to properly manage their data outputs and develop workflows that support research reproducibility and open science. And one common engagement avenue for librarians is education in the form of instruction, consultation, or outreach services. And our guests today have worked at their institution to tailor this type of support for their researchers. They wrote about their experiences in a book chapter titled Expanding Research Data Management to UC Berkeley Researchers, a Targeted Approach to Outreach and Instruction. It was published in the American Library Association book, Teaching Data Management, where they outlined three case studies exemplifying their collaboration with research IT to develop research data management outreach and instruction strategies that are both targeted and scalable. We're here today to talk with them about how they identified target audiences, got buy-in from those audiences, and developed the education plan. So let's get into it. Welcome Anna, Amy, and Elliot to IDEA. Thanks so much for having us. Well, thank you all for being here. We'd like for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So can you tell us a bit more about your role and how it fits into the research data ecosystem at your institution? Absolutely. So my name is Anna Sackman, and I am currently the data services librarian here at UC Berkeley. And in this position, I really strive to provide a unified approach to how research data is supported from folks within the library. So this means coordinating with some of our campus partners outside of the library and working with subject librarians like Elliot, who provide really in-depth consultations to our researchers in their departments. And my name is Amy Neeser, and I manage the consulting program and outreach efforts in research IT. And Research IT is part of the Research Teaching and Learning Organization on the UC Berkeley campus. And what we really do is we partner with researchers, so faculty, students, and staff to help with their data and their computation needs in order to advance research on our campus. And although I work in Research IT, my background is actually as a librarian as well. So I was a science librarian and then got into data curation. And that's what led me into this data and computing world that I'm in now. And hi, this is Elliot Smith. I am the subject librarian for molecular and cell biology, neurobiology, and integrative biology at UC Berkeley. And uh, one of my key roles relating to research data is instructional. I'm one of the partners in our responsible conduct of research data integrity and reproducibility workshops. Awesome. Well, thank you for the introduction. And now let's talk a little bit more about your projects and the work that you've been doing at UC Berkeley. So there's kind of, I think, a back and forth in research and data librarianship in terms of instruction. We've got one shots, we've got workshops, we've got longer semester long engagement projects. And I think we've seen more of a shift from the one-shot workshops to different forms of education. And so in your particular case, what prompted the shift 
from moving away from one-shot workshops to these more targeted education efforts? Yeah, I can get us started um, answering this question. So first of all, we were starting to have very, very, very low attendance on our one-shot workshops. And we would put a lot of effort into planning these workshops and you know, only maybe two or three people would show up, maybe 10 people would sign up. So that was very discouraging and not a very good use of our time. But more than that, we really found that if we were teaching to everybody, we were kind of teaching to nobody actually. Um, and that there's a lot of disciplinary norms and practices that are very, very relevant when it comes to research data management. And so we felt, you know, if we were talking to social scientists, we really needed to use examples in their discipline in order to make it actually useful and relevant to them. Um, I'll also add that, you know, if we really just put out a kind of come all, come one, come all to our workshops, um, the people that are going to come to it are the people that already know that they need help. And so um, we really thought that if we did targeting to specific disciplines, we could really reach a lot of disciplines that are perhaps already underserved um, and don't even know about research data management or don't know that they need help. Um, so that's a really way, a really great way to be more equitable in how we're reaching out to campus, not just you know those that already know about us. Um, and further, I will say that um, I mentioned that I manage a consulting team and it's a very excellent and diverse team. It's made up of librarians and staff and grad students and undergrad students and people at our national laboratory. Um, and it's really great because these students are embedded in discipline similarly to librarians. And so we have these people that are already doing research in these disciplines and can really bring their expertise and their connections into those fields and help us with that targeted research. That's really interesting to hear. And it's really interesting how you kind of talked about it. It makes a lot of sense that, you know, you, you got to target people so that they are aware that this even exists and they, even if they don't know that they need this support. What year did you all start this process of, of shifting? That's a great question. I would say that things really started to shift for me in the library around 2019. Elliot and Amy, when do you think that shift started taking place for you? Well, I was looking back at our records and the first responsible conduct of research instruction that we did as part of the um, required curriculum was actually in 2017. So we've been doing it for quite some time now. Yeah, I think it's um, for the reaching out to specific disciplines. Um, I think it's been about three years. And I think that that responsible conduct of research work that you mentioned, Elliot, kind of paved the way for us to do the second part of our outreach efforts. So you all touched on the fact that you kind of have these targeted approaches through kind of this uh, RCR training, but also, Amy, you were just talking about how you engage with students from disciplines and staff from disciplines and expertise. So what was your process of identifying and contacting these potential audiences for these targeted educational uh, sessions? And as a part of that, also, what goes into actually identifying the ways in which those programs can then be sustained and scaled, right? Because uh, you kind of touched on the fact that there's the come one, come all that can kind of reach everybody, but that the people aren't coming because they aren't necessarily aware that they need it. But that these targeted approaches, you're reaching us potentially actually a larger audience, but a, a targeted audience. So perhaps I can begin a response uh, to this one. 
Um, we were very excited when we found out about the NIH-required research integrity and reproducibility courses on campus. The instruction on data management that we'd already been doing seemed to fit very naturally into that curriculum. And we reached out to the instructor who implements those courses, and she expressed interest in having us present a module on data management as part of a research reproducibility course required of incoming molecular and cell biology graduate students. And when that was successful, it turned out that she also was the designer and implementer of the regular campus-wide responsible conduct of research instruction that was sponsored by the Office of the Vice Chancellor for Research. And uh, she also did consultations for specific labs or research groups that requested it. So there were all of these different audiences kind of built in to um, this set of courses that already existed and that we were able to plug into very directly. The audience for these courses was also an audience that we really wanted to reach early career researchers. We can introduce them to data management best practices, which we hope they will carry forward in their own careers and impart to colleagues and their own students. So our hope is by, by reaching one person, we actually reach um, many more than that. And in terms of scalability and sustainability, once we created our basic instructional template, we could pretty easily customize it for each group Amy talked about the need to be kind of discipline relevant. And so we could illustrate these common principles by finding um, discipline relevant examples uh, for each of the audiences that we were addressing. Do you have any uh, like examples of some of those discipline specific examples that you've used? When we were doing the course for the incoming MCB graduate students, we would use a case study that involved molecular and cell biology. Um, we would then, when we were doing the campus-wide uh, uh, curriculum on the responsible conduct of research, and that often involved people from many different disciplines, including public health and the social sciences, we would use a different case study that was more related to their disciplines. Um, it was actually a case study that combined you know, public health elements and social welfare elements. Um, so by doing this, um, we could make the material we were presenting kind of directly relevant to the audience um, and still kind of cover the same set of principles with them. Uh, so it made it a, kind of a very flexible presentation design. I'd like to add that I think a really important component of um, sustainability and scalability on our campus is done through really excellent communication, collaboration, and building of partnerships. So Elliot has done a really excellent job leading the, the RCR trainings, but at the same time, he's pulled in me and Amy and our research data management program service lead and, and another liaison librarian on campus, Anne Glusker. And, and I think one of the things that's made this continue over the course of five years is that we have a whole crew of people uh, who can step in at any moment and teach and we can kind of divvy up the workload. And um, it's not too much for any one of us because we have such a strong team approach um, to being able to, pro to provide this type of instruction. 
And I can say a few uh, words about how we identified um, folks to do the individual targeted efforts. So, um, so a little bit of background on this is each year we pick a disciplinary area on campus where we really deep dive and do really um, tailored outreach to the researchers in these disciplines. And so this past year, we've really targeted departments within the social sciences. Um, previously, we had done public health and before that, physical sciences and engineering. And so um, we were able to get a list of um, some of the new faculty through the library, which is great for me and research IT. This is a really amazing thing that the library can provide this. And then we supplement that. Um, we actually engage some of our student workers actually to help us and do research of, about the people that are on the list that we receive, see what types of research they're doing. Um, are they doing things with computation? And therefore, should, when we approach them, should we talk about our high-performance computing cluster or not? And then between that and then help from the relevant librarians, of course, because they know of other um, new people that are joining their departments, maybe it be lab managers, and then we reach out to them. So kind of like Anna is talking about, very much a team effort to get the list of the people that we would do this targeted outreach to. Anna's point about drawing on the expertise of a variety of people um, is also pretty key to uh, our ability to customize our presentations for specific audiences. Um, fortunately, no one of us has to have expertise in all of those areas. That's really awesome that you have such a great network. It seems like there's a lot of really positive characteristics of your university and the way your teams interface that really makes this a successful program. Although I'm curious, uh, what sort of challenges then did you face when you were planning and executing these education efforts? I would say one challenge has been differing levels of involvement from the subject librarians. I feel like subject librarians have so much on their plates and they're asked to do so much that um, depending on what the disciplinary focus was, um, we had more and less involvement from the subject librarians. And we really found that that is key because um, these new, these researchers um, are more likely to respond to the librarian than like a random IT person. So if the librarians are willing to send out the email on behalf of the group and say, hi, we wanna talk to you about your data and computation needs, then we'll get a higher response rate because librarians are so amazing. In addition to that, so we send out personalized emails to every single researcher. We don't send out a, a group um, that can be very time intensive and not everybody responds, which I think is normal. And actually we found that that is okay. At first we were a little bit discouraged, but because we're doing such tailored consultations with these folks, really researching where they're publishing, what kind of research they're doing, we found that it was okay to have fewer that went in much more depth. Again, kind of getting away from the you know, one size fits all model. So that was a challenge, but it ended up being okay. And maybe the last thing I will add is always the assessment piece. How do we assess that this is a good use of our time and that it's working? Um, and we have some, some metrics. Um, we find that if people come back and ask us more questions, then we think that they found us useful. Or maybe if they refer to colleague or send their grad students from their lab, then we consider that a success. But uh, I would say assessment is always an ongoing challenge for these things. I think assessment for a lot of librarians and well, not just librarians, but anybody who's engaging in this space is, is always a challenge. So can I ask what 
currently are you looking at for assessment that you think is a good indicator of the kind of impact and outreach you're having? Um, we've been doing this long enough. Um, this uh, responsible conduct of research instruction is required. Uh, researchers are required to take it every five years. And we've been doing it long enough that we just had the first group um, for their five-year refresher that we had had back in 2017 when we um, started first started working on this instruction. And we took the opportunity to start asking them about the data management practices that they had adopted uh, in their own work. And while we found that um, you know, there were some things that had not gotten a lot of adoption. People were not generally writing either formal or informal data management plans. Um, there were lots of kind of smaller victories. Uh, people were generally adopting good descriptive file naming conventions. They were keeping data codebooks and readme files. Um, and so seeing that kind of feedback uh, from our first group was was pretty heartening. One of the pieces of feedback that we received from this repeat group that I absolutely loved was a graduate student nearing the end of her graduate career who said, I feel validated by this session and how crazy I've been about my own personal data management. And so it was this great, just like the whole moment came around of the work that we've put in for the last five years that she thought she was going overboard. But really when she came back to this initial session that she had had five years ago, she realized that she was doing exactly what she needed to be doing to protect her data and, and document all of her workflows. One of the things that we have found with doing this kind of targeted outreach is that we do get approached by participants after the workshops. Um, and so they do lead to additional consultations. Uh, one of them recently with a postdoc who was asking us how he could implement these practices in the lab that he'll be starting in a year or two um, and make sure that these practices are adopted early on and by everyone in the lab. Um, and uh, so that was really heartening to see too, that he had um, he felt that these principles were so important that he wanted to make sure that he instituted them from the start. Elliot, I think that example is so encouraging. I think by us really, you know, targeting grad students and early career researchers, this is how we're really going to change the practices of data management in academia. You know, these, of course, are our future professors. And, um, you know, so I think that I'm really, I feel very encouraged by that. Yeah. Um, so for the for the targeted outreach, you know, we didn't want to do a very like formal assessment because, of course, we're very careful with how many times we email faculty members and researchers and um, we want to respect their time and, you know, make sure that when we do write to them that they open our emails. Um, so we didn't do anything like a survey or something like that. We, we felt it was too heavy. But we do, um, after we talk to them a year later, we follow up with them and say, hey, remember us, if we haven't heard from them, these are the things we talked about, how are those things going? And so, you know, depending on their level of an engagement with that, that can be an indicator. Um, and so we have a lot of these soft metrics, I would say that we put together to tell a more complete story. Yeah, it sounds like you actually have, even without that kind of formalized assessment, quite a few assessment metrics as you just kind of posed. And also with the example Elliot had, that's something I know here at Penn State, where I'm at, we look at a lot is 
how many consultations are we getting after we've done a workshop? And we see often that's where we get kind of huge bumps. It's almost like the workshop and the engagement opportunity is advertisement for the other services that are offered. Digging a little bit more into some of the things that you referenced in your in your book chapter, could you tell us more about the work of Woodley and Pratt that you referenced, especially as they relate to the terminology that relates to your work? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this. Unfortunately, I'm talking about it kind of on the on the behalf of Samantha Toplitsky, our our open science librarian. She was really fortunate to be able to take a community engagement course through the Center for Scientific Collaboration and Community Engagement. I think it was kind of towards the beginning of the pandemic. And some of the things that she took from that course and how to build community and relationships are concepts that we've been able to apply to much of our outreach. And she initially applied this to an open science series that she piloted with a cohort of new graduate students in the Earth and Planetary Science Department. And we've we've been kind of had a hard time going back, but before we started this targeted outreach, we've had a hard time kind of pitching workshops and programs in the past. And so this model really helped her and then us with these additional outreach opportunities think about how we connect with people and how the library serves as a hub for developing partnerships and ideas. So I think one of the unique things here that um, that this model really helps us think about is that librarians are, are in a unique position. And same with the consultants in research IT. We don't grade, we don't enforce policy, And this means that I think we can create an environment where learning is not this one-way transaction of information. Researchers have a lot to contribute, and we can work together with researchers and and faculty and with our campus partners to really co-create environments that are conducive to building communities of practice and other partnerships where we can grow and learn from one another. And one of the things that the model that is presented by Woodley and Pratt accomplishes is that it it looks at who holds the power in a lot of these relationships. And that's, a, I think, a, a piece that we should be reflecting on even more because we all come to the table with our unique research experiences, our own knowledge. And if we can distribute that, distribute that power, I think our outreach and uh, getting people to grow, especially in terms of data management, can be much more um, more powerful and more accepting in many ways. One of the things that this has led to, especially with Sam, is that she can now she now does an open science series with other um, Bay Area folks, the data librarian from University of California, San Francisco, and a medical librarian from Stanford. So some pretty exciting some exciting things have come out of her implementing this model and us being able to to really look at our outreach activities through through this lens. That's really cool. I it's great seeing too like this cross library domain like borrowing ideas and implementing them because I do think there's sometimes it could be really easy to focus on just data, nothing but the data and what are we learning and using in that domain. And I think it's one of the benefits probably of you having of you all having such a large and diverse team is being able to pull these ideas from different areas and and implement them in ways that's really effective with the work that you're doing. So you're doing this work uh, with a lot of people that crosses a lot of different units. 
And I think a lot of librarians would be really excited to be in that position. But I also know that there's a lot of institutions where it's a solo data librarian, or it's someone who is a data librarian on top of also being a liaison or doing some other role or job in the library. So how might this targeted approach, like reaching out and doing more targeted education and outreach, be recreated at libraries with less staff? Um, and you can feel free to interpret this however you want, whether it's like, what's the essential recipe that people should keep in mind, or how might it be adapted for those smaller institutions? Since you are the experts in in pulling this off, what words of wisdom can you share with our listeners? This is Elliot, and maybe I can start us off here. I would say the collaborative piece that Anna discussed uh, and that Amy has talked about is very important. So making connections, if you can, with other librarians who touch on these areas. If you're a solo librarian and don't really have a lot of librarian colleagues uh, in your immediate institution that you can draw on, reaching out to um, campus uh, and departmental instruction efforts in these areas. Especially, uh, we focused on research reproducibility and integrity, and ultimately, establishing those relationships will save librarians a lot of time and energy. These instructional efforts uh, often have built-in audiences, and it also enables librarians who are delivering this kind of instruction to seek input about the most useful and pertinent content to cover. So making those kinds of connections means your efforts can be more efficient and effective. But of course, a key issue is that no one can have expertise in every domain. And you know, at Berkeley, uh, I can draw on the expertise of Anna and of Amy and of the Research Data Management Program, which is uh, headed by a woman named Erin Foster, who also participates in our instruction. But without those kinds of resources, I would say there are some pretty robust professional communities that are working on these issues. And many people are very generous and willing to share materials and examples. So you certainly don't have to develop everything from scratch. And my final comment on this would be uh, look for whatever small um, but significant wins you can um, you can find. Um, and, you know, even helping one researcher to develop a better file naming system uh, or to start to keep data code books um, is a victory. Yeah, Elliot, I was thinking about small wins as well. And I think when we were first thinking about these outreach efforts, we thought, oh, every single semester we'll reach out to a new discipline. And we, we really scaled back and said, you know, we're going to do this year by year rather than each semester and take our time and do it really well and go deep. And, you know, it's funny that I, I would say our, my urge was like, oh, let's, you know, I wanted to do the, you know, more people. And I'm like, no, take a step back, small wins, discipline by discipline, make your way around campus. And the other thing I will add to all of your very excellent comments, Elliot, is um, involving students in this work as well is a, has really been kind of our secret sauce in research IT, both undergraduate and graduate students. They're so incredibly smart. Um, they have so many good ideas. They are connected to different campus groups in different ways and just have such good knowledge and experience. And so by involving them, 
um, you know, either having them help us do the outreach to the departments that they're involved in, um, doing the research aspects, um, helping us with that. Just, yeah, I would say think creatively about working with students. And, and we very much frame that as working with students, not like students working for us. And so, you know, how can we partner with students in a meaningful way to help us achieve these goals? Of course, I can think of, I can always think of just one more thing. Um, but the last thing that comes to mind here with with libraries with less staff is look regionally, look at the consortium that you're a part of. I formerly worked at a much smaller institution with about 1,500 students, and we were part of a much larger network of small universities with small libraries, and we frequently consulted with one another. And I think one of the examples of this going really well for, for us is moving Love Data Week to be UC system-wide instead of just having it be campus by campus doing their own thing. Everyone, regardless of the size of your institution, everyone needs help. Everyone feels stretched because we're always asked to do more and more. And I think identifying folks at institutions that are either similar to yours or that are part of a consortium can be really beneficial in the long run uh, with developing partnerships and identifying shared goals. That's fabulous advice. Uh, I really like that looking to consortiums. Can I just say, I also love the idea of small wins and I don't know how, but I would love to do an episode on like small wins in research and data engagement. Uh, I don't know what that, maybe, maybe when we get a big enough audience, we'll do a call in. Be like, Hey, call in with your small win. I was thinking about that too, because even when Elliot was talking about how, like after the five years, people had actually implemented file naming strategies and things. When I teach data management sessions, I'm like, pick one of these strategies, like whichever one you pick, just pick one, get that like going. And I like, you'll be on the road to like success. And I hadn't like considered that idea as like, that is a small win, but it is, it really is that kind of small win. Well, this was such a fascinating conversation. It was really great getting to learn about the success you've had kind of transitioning from this one-shot instruction to targeted approaches and how like you've actually taken that and turned it into something that can be grown and built in a sustainable manner. Uh, as Amy was just touching on at the end there, this idea that you're kind of slowing down, digging into the kind of deep into each of these kind of disciplinary areas or kind of the strengths at RCR course and such and providing that in-depth support and how that is uh, win and that you'll kind of slowly make its way both through the campus yourselves, but also from the one or two researchers that you might reach there, teaching their peers as well. Uh, I think that's a really good approach and one that uh, can be adopted elsewhere, especially with the advice that you all just gave there. So I just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you, Anna, Elliot, and Amy, for taking the time to talk to us on IDEA today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This has been really fun. Yes, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you all. Yes, we've really enjoyed talking to you all. And for our listeners, do note that in the show notes, we'll link the um, book chapter. So you'll be able to access that if you want to dig into more depth and learn more about the work that these three are doing at UC Berkeley. We hope you enjoyed this episode of IDEA. You can find the resources from today's show in the show notes. Our theme music is by Scott Holmes. And a big thanks to the Research Data Alliance Interest Group Engaging Researchers with Data for supporting our work. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.